I'm old. <laughs> don't even you don't even start with me. I'm allowed to have feelings. I mean about old. Yeah. Yeah, talk to me when you're 40. Old feel No, because then you'll be like, "Oh, talk to me when you're 50." Like, then I'll never get to talk to you. Yeah. Oh, that's the point, isn't it? Hi, this is Cody Dagalorians. This is Neil Dagalorians. And welcome to another episode of Bearded Fruit. Insert mouth sound here. Yeah. Mouth sound. <laughs> I like that. I like that there's now an interactive episode. People can just they insert can... their own. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if people do that. I wonder if people have gotten so accustomed to our introductions that they actually do the... I wonder if yeah. people listen to this. They do. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. They do. They do. Okay. So we are now um, like five or six weeks into new episodes of the podcast. It, this has been the longest April, May, month, time ever. Yeah, very much so. Uh, so thank you, Global Pandemic. You've, got, you've given us uh, Bearded Fruit back, and we've uh, done a pretty good number of episodes so far. I think, I think the hundreds and thousands of people dying and getting sick across the country was worth it. Well, for yes. this podcast. And that was the Republican portion of our program. That is that is a sacrifice that I am willing to make. Yeah. So uh, it was been really nice being back. And we've gotten a really uh, a lot of really good feedback from listeners and also found some new ones. So that's uh, very been very cool. Uh, thanks for all your support of the podcast from uh, after our long hiatus. Yay. Um, so so we had sort of like a life event this past week. Well, one of us did. Uh, this was my birthday last week. I uh, just turned 44. Yay. 44 years old. Um, it's not really like a milestone birthday, but I did move from my late early 40s into my early mid 40s. You're officially mid 40s. Yes. Yeah, that is like my now new early mid 40s. It's early mid 40s. Um, I just want to, I just want to like, it's my early mid forties. You know, like we're like upper middle class, <laughs> but we're still middle class. You know, we're working people. Yeah, no, so I'm definitely, I'm definitely in my um, early. We have a yacht, but it only seats like five people. Forties. Um, but, uh, but I'm not the only person who has uh, a birthday coming up. Uh, so does Neil. Yes, our birthdays, our dates are exactly a week apart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm on the 20th and he's on the 27th. Yay. And uh, you have, but yours is a milestone birthday. Is it? Yeah. It is. I'm turning 30. Turning 30. Although technically, if life begins at conception, I've been 30, but you know. We're not a conversation for another episode <laughs> of the podcast. Um, so this week on the podcast, we wanted to kind of talk about um, because we were thinking about our birthdays and getting older. We were talking, want to talk about growing into our queerness and how like queerness changes over time. Because we've both been out for a decent amount of time, a decent part of oh, our oh, lives. Yeah, I'm almost more out than in. I'm getting really close to that. I yeah I've oh I I've definitely I've over I hit that over like six six years ago I hit that um more out of the closet than in 
because um, I came out at like 18, and now this, this is my 24th, my 24th year of being a professional queer person. Professional? <laughs> Fine, amateur. Yeah, I was gonna say nobody paying you to be nobody queer. Nobody pay no, nobody's paying me to be queer. I don't have an OnlyFans. And if they are, they're paying too much. Yeah. Oh, I you don't I don't have an OnlyFans. That was mine. <laughs> but that'd have been like a good yeah. Will, no, would have uh, been a good plug if you not, had one. I, yeah, I'm not getting <laughs> I do not. <laughs> My OnlyFans would basically consist of me saying, uh, would you like to read this book with me? That's um There's a there's a niche <laughs> for that. <laughs> Please let me know on Twitter if you would be interested in an OnlyFans with me telling you about the books I'm reading. Hey, boy, it's me, Daddy Wellread. <laughs> Daddy Wellread. Oh, my God. That could be... You're welcome. Yeah, yo. Look for Daddy Wellread on uh, OnlyFans. In, on OnlyFans. So, um, I wanted to sort of start by like thinking about this, this life this life transition, these, these, these markers of time going by for us and thinking a little bit about, um, kind of lessons that you've learned over time. One of the things that I've found very interesting since I came out uh, 24, 24 years ago was that, um, my, my queerness changes too, that it has changed over the 24 years. And I don't just mean like my relationship with queerness, but like the actual thing itself has changed over time. I'm taking credit for that. It's unfair, but no, like fair. But I mean, I that was a joke. I wasn't being sincere. No, my our our relationship has absolutely allowed me to sort of explore my queerness in different ways and explore its facets and sort of be okay about redefining it and myself. The audience cannot see this, but I am now dabbing. Yes, that is a podcast dab. Uh, But yeah, you know, my what my queerness was like when I first came out of the closet was very. uh, It was. It was. It's very different than what it looks like now. My queerness was just. I came out when I came out at eighteen. I came out as gay. I like. It's gonna sound weird, but I don't really ever use that identifier anymore. The identifier that I use is queer because that is more accurate to me. Um, she was basic. Yeah. No. Because I don't. I don't actually sort of see myself as a gay per as a gay person. Um, I. I am sometimes attracted to women. Most of the times, not attracted to anyone. So that's like a weird uh, combination. I mean, I think if if I was really gonna kind of go into the specifics, what I what started as gay is now kind of gray ace bisexual or maybe pansexual. I don't know. I guess, and and to some degree, maybe also like gray ace demisexual, bisexual, pansexual slash. Ish. Let's find a couple more adverbs. I don't know, like <laughs> that, but no. And it, it's definitely over time, my, my queerness has evolved and changed as I have changed as a person, and I've become kind of more willing to, um, like critique my own experience and 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 question it and and really f- ask what the fuck is going on. If you can't read yourself, how in the hell are you going to read somebody else? How about you? How has have you felt like your your like queer identity has it changed over time? No, I'm the same little bubbly sixteen year old boy that I've been, you know, since junior year of high school. Are you? No. I don't know. Um I mean there's definitely been major changes. I'm currently going on a gender journey, but my gender journey is very confusing because I don't know if I'm just jaded 
um, with a G, jaded gender. <laughs> um, or if I'm just too academic or what's going on. So it's really interesting. And I think, you know, I've also have accepted the queer moniker for a while. And I think what's also really right now is kind of coming up in terms of my sense of identity. It's actually more, it's, it's less about sexuality and gender and more about my identity as a creator. Um, but it, it, it ties in because I, I worry that I pigeonhole myself a lot with the things that I make for, for just like exploiting the queerness um, or like how I, I exploit uh, my queerness to the point where I kind of pigeonhole what I make and what I am. Um, so I, I, I'm just kind of in this weird space right now and it's probably, this has been going on since before the pandemic, but definitely amplified by the pandemic is just this idea of what do words mean? Um, and kind of embracing this idea that words are inherently flawed and terms are inherently flawed. So there's no way to fully encapsulate, uh, what's going on internally there's no way to accurately kind of portray what I feel my identity is, and that's okay. But at the same time, it's also okay to try to find words. That's not necessarily unproductive. That's That still has value and meaning, um, even if it feels arbitrary most of the time. So I don't know. I'm just like going through NUI, like going through the existential surfing the existential wave into nihilism well but that seems to be very emblematic of a queer experience i I think you that the notion of looking for language that adequately describes your experience when you're not out or when you're starting to come to the idea that you're maybe queer you don't necessarily have access to the words because of the way our culture is shaped and structured well i guess what i'm saying is i have access to the words but i don't know if they mean anything so, like, I know the words, I know the terms, all that fun stuff, but nothing feels right because everything feels meaningless. Mm. Because, yeah. you know, I'm being on brand sad boy. So That's very, that's very like... Um, that's boy with an I. Beckett and Ionesco after the... Gesundheit. War. Yeah, so... um a broader notion that that we wanted to sort of talk about today is not just uh, sort of like our particular landmarks, but but queer people and their relation to time in general, uh, because you know like th- there there are a lot of ways in which in which queer people are kind of like on a different, on a different timetable, I guess, you know, like when the, the trains are, there's the straight train coming into the station on its particular schedule. And then queer people are kind of off on their other queer people also walk faster. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, that, that no, it's absolutely, we've got, absolutely we've got places to my, be. I absolutely, I got a fourth. So I think an interesting place to start here is uh, the idea that, that kind of our lives are constructed in these by these like socially accepted and socially agreed upon. Uh, they're called objective life events, is how they're often referred to in kind of the research around this. And they are these markers, culturally accepted markers of adulthood. That once you get past childhood, there are these. There are five of them, and that these five markers, which are uh, completing your education, entering the workforce. Becoming financially dependent, getting married, and becoming a parent. These five markers are the things that you have to hit in order to, quote-unquote, 
be an adult. They're in so our... neoliberal too. Like, yeah. ew, <laughs> Mary, gross. Yeah. Um, but they're not exactly accessible to everyone. Like those, and I think, and and for queer people, th- some of them are less accessible and are like not accessible at all. And uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about like those objective life, those objective life markers, and those objective life events, and and how maybe like you have related to them, mm-hmm. and and how they have related. I know for me, I have felt for a considerable amount of t- my life, my adult life, that I'm kind of a loser because. Well, you're right. Well, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> For the support, uh, but I, I have kind of, I have often thought of myself as a loser because I was not, uh, I was not hitting the same marks that friends my age or younger than me were hitting as I was kind of going through life. I spent a decent amount of my time kind of flailing about professionally and creatively. I don't think, I mean, until still, <laughs> no, until we moved to Connecticut, I really didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. And I, I was professionally all over the fucking place. And I, I still am not a quote unquote homeowner. I'm married, but we don't have kids. And I mean, we do have to put Ophelia through college, but that is, uh, she's doing fine on her. She's, she's getting all sorts I, of scholarships. Yeah, she's going to be totally fine. Um, yes, uh, she's going to Barksley. Um, Oh, come on. That was cute. Anyway. Uh, I prefer Woofster State College. <laughs> um, but I, yeah, and I, those objective life markers absolutely have kind of defined always uh, how I sort of think of myself. And um, how about you? Uh-huh. The end. But seriously. Um... I mean, my my initial reaction to even reading about this and thinking about this literally, I think, encompasses not only my current mindset, but also how I currently relate to it, which is, oh, well, these are just markers that are very Western in terms of their standpoint and very heteronormative in terms of their standpoint. So regardless, at this current moment, it's like, whatever, I don't care. But, you know, thinking about trying to place myself back into 16-year-old Neil when he had just come out and thinking about my future and things like this it was it was complicated because at the time my oldest brother had just gotten married and their first kid was maybe 2 years into their marriage something like that and high school Neil was always in the shadow of him um for multiple reasons academically speaking as well as just culturally speaking so high school Neil really struggled with this idea of what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be. And, you know, I thought that maybe by finding a, by by going through a similar path, maybe I could find that acceptance, find that validation through a f- familial unit. Plot twist being when I did do that, nope, <laughs> um, didn't happen um, because there is an ultimate underlying thing that will make all of my attempts at that a failure. And I think, you know, I, I think not trying to get too too deep and personal in terms of, of my relationship with my brother, but I think there's this moment of recognition that no matter what I would do, I wouldn't be accepted in his eyes, and that that gave me permission to then create my own destiny, a la Britney Spears. Um, I think 
after kind of recognizing, okay, it doesn't matter if I go to grad school and get a professorship and just like become this, this like academic scholarly, yet also artistic success and finding success in my field. It doesn't matter because a I'm queer and B it's a field that is inherently not respected by this person. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. And so as a result, I can do what I actually want to do. And that, comes with let's find out what that means what what does it mean what do i actually want to do luckily enough what i want to do is still related to that goal so hooray i didn't just waste like 10 years of my life um, pursuing a terminal degree and all that fun stuff but it's still I, i think i'm still coming to terms with that especially since there's more things developing in my family in terms of this this um timeline this objective um, timeline where another brother is now kind of hitting all of those marks and I still haven't, but it's fine because I'm also the youngest. So like, why am I rushing if like it took them, so whatever, but there's just like an added level of complication where I have one brother who has hit all those marks who doesn't accept me and another brother who hits all those marks and does accept me. So then what do I do and how can I, um, kind of both be my authentic self while also, finding um some sense of validation and acceptance and all that um so turning 30 i think is giving me a lot of feelings because of that um because it's like i no longer have an excuse (laughs) um i no longer have the excuse of being in my 20s um holding me back uh from achieving certain things and it's it's just like an additional thing that is keeping me from accepting the successes that I do have. The fact that it took me how long out of grad school to get a full-time job in my industry, a very highly competitive and underemployed industry. Um, the fact that I'm doing that on top of teaching at a, at a school, um, at a university. Like I'm just not allowing myself to accept my successes, and I worry that turning 30 will just kind of amplify those a little bit. Um, I'm also still pissed that I never made a 30 under 30 list. Like, I've got four days. I've got three days. Somebody out there has got to put me on a list. Please. I need it. I get, can somebody on might do a BuzzFeed listicle for this faggot? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and it's all just me. I'm no, every single one. I mean, I would, I would say that I spent the majority of my adulthood um not doing the things i wanted to do because i felt i had to hit these objective life markers that i felt like i had to be a person because it was expected of me from a lot of corners and i have only in the last i'm 6 years in the last 6 years really has been that which is moving up here and being in this relationship where i have kind of let go a lot of those those things um and you know like not not feeling some so bad about not being a homeowner or not being a parent or having married later in later in life as a as opposed to a lot of my peers who got married a lot earlier and also i think like compounding because our our marriage is structured in a in a, in a unique way it is not necessarily heteronormative in I its am once structure again it is not heteronormative in its structure and uh you know that alone allowing that to be true when for the the rest of my adulthood i was pursuing very 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 monogamous relationships which is really bad because i'm not good at that i'm bad at that 
You could have fooled me. <laughs> I'm bad at monogamy. And um, I think like it's, it's I, what I think is really if, rejecting those ideas or at least letting those ideas go and recognizing that while those things may work for some people and those things are great for some, they don't, those objective life markers don't work for everyone. And you can release them and you can find your own path uh, because, uh, the other uh, your own path is the right path for you it's the one that allows you to be the best version of yourself that you can be we, something that just popped into my brain right now and i don't know if we have the time or the energy to really unpack it um but i think it's interesting that in our relationship we signify um two different sides of that spectrum where you got married quote later in life and i got married like around the time that people are expected to get married um, because I was 24 and you were 38. That's, I think, kind of interesting. There's something interesting in there, um, but I don't know what it means yet. And so maybe this is me just putting into the universe a topic for a future conversation. But I think there's something interesting about how we both kind of fit this objective life goal um, in in very different times of our lives, and yet it's within the same relationship. I don't know. Maybe there's a play in there. So this, I it also speaks to some other other things uh, about uh, queer people and their relationship to these life things. It speaks to ways in which we talk about uh, the behavior of other queer folks, and, um, and and like the measuring stick that we use whenever we are talking about other people. So you can sort of think of like this concept as queer time. With quotes around it, like queer time. The queer clock has 13 yeah, hours. Yeah, there's like regular time, and then there's queer time. Uh, so queer scholar Jack Halberstam wrote Take a, a book. Sip. Thank you. He wrote a book in 2005 called In a Queer Time and Place. And his book, in this book, uh, he argues that uh, queer uses of time and space develop, and this is a quote, in opposition to the institutions of family, heterosexuality, and reproduction. Queerness itself is an outcome of strange temporalities, imaginative life schedules, and eccentric economic practices. And so he sort of argues that because our queer experience warps these normative development paths, queer people are kind of working on their own clock and their own time that uh, in the in that queerness in a sense kind of warps the way that we think with that we experience time and I don't mean like not time in like the the quantum physics or the the physics matter we experience time the same way other human beings and other and, and, and entities in this in the universe do but that kind of like uh, that uh, subjective that more metaphorical sense of experiencing time well i mean there's we, we've talked about this before but there's this notion of the the queer adolescence not even happening until the 20s which is much later than our straight counterparts who get to like date or flirt openly with each other in middle and high school and i think you know part of that it all comes back to what is the root of homophobia? What is the root of shame for being queer? And it all has to do with what we do or do not do with our bodies. And I feel that's the reason why queerness is so taboo among young people, because it always goes back to that, even though there is heterosexual behavior that is considered okay, that is considered fine, which is why we see plenty of it's the whole prom date thing where there is controversy over same-sex partners going to prom together um, for some apparent reason, even though 
it's because of a, a focus on the sexuality of queerness, of the actual physical thing that they do with their bodies that is completely fine and dandy when you think about a heterosexual partnership. So, yes, like we, we experience um, adolescence in a very different way because we are not allowed to be queer until we are 18 or over. We're not allowed to experience our queerness until we are uh, no longer minors. And that is really harmful in a lot of ways. And that's where you see these uh, 20 and 30 year olds who are partying all the time, who are, you know, engaging in risky behaviors, both emotionally and physically. And it's it's where we get this kind of trope of especially the gay man being promiscuous and being um, doing engaging in these behaviors later in life. And it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense because it is a self-fulfilled prophecy where society says you cannot do this until you were this age. So it's like, all right, I guess I'll wait. And then when we do, we have these really immature relationships with each other when we shouldn't, when our counterparts aren't because they're able to connect emotionally in ways due to already going through that. Um, also, we walk faster. I already said that, but we walk faster. Well, I think what's what's sort of when I was doing the prep for this, this idea was one that I kind of churned over uh, a little bit because it was it was one of the things that kind of that critiqued and questioned my own attitudes about about queer men. Well, I do agree that that this notion of like the the delayed queer adolescence. Uh, create situations in which people could exhibit sort of immature or potentially harmful behavior. Not all of that behavior and not all of that perpetuation of that behavior is either harmful or or immature, so to speak. And that some of that potential, particularly the frame about immature, goes back to accepting those objective life events and that timeline that we're supposed to be on and and accepting it and judging people's behavior based on that. And I know that I'm cer- I've certainly been so cuz I'm never I've never been like a going out kind of girl. Like I don't I never really did bars or anything. And and I, I hate I hate like like decadent southern decadence and bear events. I don't go to any of that stuff because it just don't it doesn't work for me. But I will absolutely admit that I have judged the people who do those things as like not being grownups and not necessarily like to their faces or outwardly but that's what i'm thinking whenever i'm watching a bunch of like grown-ass men uh this so this happens every year like whenever i see like literally every every bear i know going to going to provincetown for bear week there's a part of me that goes like ah why can't you just be grown-ups like the rest of us who were just being, you know, you're going to literally take your vacation and go like be a grown up. And that I'm rec- like I was recognizing in myself, that's adhering to those to that cultural timeline of what you're supposed to do in order to be an adult. Maybe that's I don't think it's me. Like, I know that that's like wrong of me to do that if if they are behaving in a way that is responsible and they are respecting other people's boundaries and they're not creating situations where they're harming themselves what's immature about it well and that's where we get to the fun messy nuance of this where yes we experience adolescence at a later age but also we get to experience adolescence at a later age and so it's almost this weird blessing and a curse situation where it would be nice if I didn't fumble through my 20s trying to figure out all this stuff. But at the same time, I'm, you know, appreciative that I got to and that I get to. And also, 
you know, as a result of all of this, we get to define a new sense of adulthood. We get to define a queer adulthood that straight people cannot access because of their the way that they've been socialized. So in, in a strange way, this immature behavior is actually something that should and could be celebrated. And it's something that I also wonder if I should experiment with because same, like I've never been a party girl. I've never been doing that stuff. So I'm wondering what would happen if I did? Like what would happen if I went to a big circuit party? Like what would happen? I mean, I would be rejected because fat, but like what would happen if I went to these kinds of um, these kinds of events, these kinds of gatherings, what would happen if, if I did that, if I experimented in these things that I too was also like, oh, that's not me. I'm not part of the quote scene. I would probably get coronavirus, but you know, like, would I have fun? Oh, well, so I literally, this, when I was talking, this, I'm kind of going through that right now in a way because I, uh, oh, it's my year anniversary for coming out. Ace. Ah, I saw the the post about it. Um, Proud of you. Thank you. So it's been about a year since I came out as uh, I came out of being on the asexual spectrum, and um, something that I have absolutely been feeling in the last year is a desire to have the experience of creating relationships, knowing this about myself, um, and creating creating relationships within a space that I am confident and comfortable and understanding of who I am. I haven't had the opportunity to do that. So all of my relationships, including ours, were formed under an, an erroneous idea of who I was. And, you know, if you've listened to the Ace episode, you know, like the theme of that is like I, I formed all my past relationships feeling like I was broken. And I don't feel that way anymore. So like what what is it? I'm very curious like to go and try forming relationships without that, you know? And I kind of like, there's a part of me that kind of wants to live that ace adolescence because I haven't, I haven't had an opportunity to do that. Like new young ace Cody wants to go out and, and, uh, like makes like go on dates and make some boyfriends under this new auspice. I think I went to high school with erroneous. <laughs> uh, no, they're, they're a great, uh, Roman playwright, the Roman playwright erroneous. And he lost all of his plays yeah. I don't know. um so there's actually a name for this concept this notion of being quote-unquote out of time or grappling with these uh these like structures of time um it's called chrononormativity and it was uh it was described by a researcher named a feminist writer and researcher named elizabeth freeman and she describes chrononormativity as the way our paths unfold in a linear way as dictated by culture uh, this, our compulsion to, our compulsion to fit our lives into the linear culturally accepted pathways of those life events, you know, because you don't just experience those life events. There are, there, there are chronological expectations about when they will happen. We talked about it a little earlier, like feeling like you're behind the time and, and that, that expectation is, is chrononormativity. 
And like queer people have a really fucking hard time coping with that. And it compounds our sense of otherness because not only are we sort of grappling with our identity, which is outside of the norm, but that identity then creates some discord with that chronological normativity that exists. And so we are it's further compounded because we're 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 we in our brains we're weirdos, but we're also um, lagging behind or following an alternate time path as everybody else and feeling out of step there too. Well, and I, I would also venture to guess that there isn't, I mean, there, there clearly isn't. The way that she frames this idea, it changes from culture to culture. So you could argue that there's also a chromo normative, <laughs> chrono normative, not chromo. Um, that's color. That's, that's the Lady that's Gaga cool. album. <laughs> Chromonormativity is loving mm-hmm, chromatica. Mm-hmm. Um, That's smart love. Yeah, I'm... it's it's the pressure to love chromatica. Yes, yes. Chromonormativity. Um, boy, do I feel it. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> it's not a pressure. I I openly enjoy the songs she's released yeah, so far. Rain on but me. um, so I, I I venture to guess and argue that there's also a chromonormativity within gay cultures within um within these these different cultures like yes there's the hetero chrononormativity that greater society greater western society has with these objectives but then also there's probably an underlying secondary uh queer and and gay and lesbian and trans uh chrononormativities that you experience this and then you experience this and you experience this and that falling out of line from that then further others because it's not only being othered by a greater society chrononormativity but there's also the other of even your niche group you are outside of that you're not finding a boyfriend by x time you're not experiencing sex by x time you're not experiencing this but you're not experiencing that so it's like we just have this constant barrage of okay well if i don't fit into this timeline i will fit into this time whoops i don't fit into that what the hell do i do now because that's my my second and only option it um yeah and i guess like one of the to kind of like bring it back to the original notion like one of the great one of the great joys of getting to this point in my life has been the release of a lot of that stuff because i yeah i exactly i totally felt that way too about um a, a kind of coming up as, as a gay guy uh, and and there were there were milestones that my gay friends were hitting that I was not, and and feeling out of step there. And what's been really nice is that like at forty four, I really don't care as much about that stuff. Sometimes I do, but um, and, but some of it is really just kind of the remnants of that old brain, that old <laughs> queer lizard brain that was feeling terrible, uh, kind of peeking in sometimes. But for the most part, I don't really care about other people's timelines anymore, or I don't care about what other people think I should be doing or, or where I should be. I'm where I am, and I'm doing what I'm doing, and that's pretty great. Can I offer a quick impression of your queer lizard brain? Please. Bent as high, the queer lizard brain must find bussy. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> Accurate, though? My queer lizard brain may be primordial, but it would never use the word bussy. <laughs> I must find some boys to play with. <laughs> it would never use the word bussy. Are uh, you a 22-year-old cub? I wish to fill you. Okay, that might it would probably <laughs> say that. <laughs> I do feel like my lizard brain would probably say that. Bitch, it's still saying that. It's still, yeah. I mean, like, no. True. True, true, true. Uh, yeah, but so, 
Yeah, like it, it it's it's nice to kind of get to a point. Uh, it's nice to sort of like take stock when as you reach certain points in your life about what kind of things that you've let go. And we've talked about this before. Um, but like the idea that we're lucky in a sense. Well, we do have to kind of struggle through queerness, and I think everybody struggles through queerness because we we exist in a in a culture that doesn't like it and doesn't accept it. But being able to take that first leap from um from rejecting or denying your queerness into accepting or acknowledging it when you take that first leap outside of that norm it becomes a lot easier then to make all the other leaps that you may be expected or you may be maybe required of you to kind of fully actualize who you are that that queerness in is is a gift in so many ways because it allows us to question everything it's not just your queerness that you start to question but the second you you like you come out and you accept that part of yourself it's now a lot easier to accept all the other things that don't work for you and it gives you permission it's a permission to accept all the other things that you would would like to reject to fully actualize yourself yes (laughs) thank you yes i yes i agree i wholly agree <laughs> I knew as soon as those words are coming out of my mouth. Take we, a sip. I'm That's it. not the only thing that is coming out of your mouth. Um, what? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, words, words, spitting bars. Can, I'm not going to spit bars. I don't know how to do that. Can I go home now? <laughs> <laughs> this is what I have to put up the with. The joke folks. is that we are home. We are home. My home is, is in your heart. And my, my hand is currently on his chest, and now it is playing with... His nipple. The Jesus end. Christ. <laughs> so as always, we I'm are... I'm the birthday boy! <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, get him online. Wish him happy birthday next Wednesday. He turns 30. It's an important milestone. Um, Halfway to 60. Yeah. Dab. As always, we really appreciate your support of the podcast, and thank you so much for everybody who has hung with us uh, over our many long hiatuses, and uh, you're still sticking around. We love it. And to all of our new folks, we're happy that you're here. If you want to find Bearded Fruit online, you can find us at beardedfruit.com. You can also find us at Bearded Fruit Pod on Twitter. You can find either Neil or I individually in all our various places. You can find me most often on Twitter at cdiggleorians, and you can find Neil... Neil makes things on Venmo, neilmakesthings.com slash buy if you want to buy things from me. Neil makes things on Instagram. I make things. And you can listen to our podcast on uh, iTunes. You can listen to our podcast on Spotify and also Google Play Music. Uh, if you want, if you like the podcast, uh, share it with others who will be interested in our conversations and dig our work. And uh, leave a review about the, for the podcast if you're if you're over on Apple. That would be that would help us out a lot. And uh, until we see you again, have a lovely week and happy birthday, Neil. As of next week, Wednesday, I will be the daddy. Yeah. Look at me. I'm the daddy now.